welcome to episode seven of the desert sirens i'm chelsea and i'm janelle and we're here deep dived into spooky season yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're at the beginning of it now that we're recording but we'll probably be more towards the end now right when this comes out yeah we'll probably be like at thanksgiving by the time this oh gosh wait because we have like we've released yeah we've released two at this point and we still have four and this is the seventh so yeah awesome we're just spooky season all year round let's do it i mean that's pretty much what our (laughs) podcast is so it is what it is folks (laughs) all right well let's crack into it then um we're gonna start obviously with you so yeah i'm gonna sit back <laughs> relax and drink this little drink here sounds great all right all right all right so today i have a fun story for you all nice little spooky story so uh i'm gonna actually start with the story itself though because i feel like that's the only way to share it <laughs> oh i don't know what that means but let's do it <laughs> <laughs> so Once upon a time, there was a ridiculously beautiful woman named Maria, who was Mm -hmm. determined to marry the most handsome man she could find. Mm -hmm. One day, she found a gorgeous man who she swiftly seduced into marrying her. They had two beautiful children together who the husband adored. But over time, he lost interest in Maria and yearned for his old single life. He continued to care for his children, but began neglecting Maria. It's not clear if he eventually cheated on her with a younger woman or if his obvious favoritism for their children was what drove her mad. But either way, she dragged her kids to the nearest river and drowned them as revenge. When she realized realized what she had done and had a moment of repentance, she drowned herself. But as penance for her horrible actions, she was cursed to haunt and search the waters for her lost children. She still haunts waterways, wailing for her children, and stealing any she may find in her path to try to replace them by dragging them to their death in the water. She is now known as La Llorona. The ditch witch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm excited to hear your version of this because Alicia did it on our last, on my other podcast that I used to do. Oh, yeah. But it's always a good one. A goodie. (laughs) Yeah, so um, for those who may not know, La Llorona stands for um, the Wailing Woman in Spanish. And it is a ridiculously common legend, yes, folktale, yes. <laughs> um, in a lot of Hispanic cultural areas. Um, and the version I just shared is the one that I grew up hearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the fun thing we're going to get into is that it, because it's an oral tradition, there are so many variations and so many fun ways to look at it so basically the the story of la llorona as i said it's common in pretty much any hispanic populated place and it's ingrained in mexican and u.s chicano mexican culture it has been a part of the united states southwestern hispanic culture since the conquistador era and it's also widely present in latin america Most people believe or accept the folktale originating from Mexico. Uh, The first appearance recorded was in Mexico City in 1550 um, on moonlit nights. She supposedly was dressed in white and wailing through the streets before disappearing into a lake. Um, (laughs) She may also, um, she may be based in Mexican culture. She may be more based on Doña Marina, 
who is also known as La Marinche, mm-hmm. uh, who is supposedly in the legend if she is La Llorona, she's repentant of her, uh, key, I think it's pronounced Kiesling, uh cooperation with the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés as his translator and concubine. Uh, Kiesling means like a traitor who collaborates with an enemy force occupying their country. And um, she's often portrayed as, oh, and this is why they think it's Doña Marina, is because uh, La Llorona is often portrayed as an indigenous woman who is jilted by a Spanish lover. And that's basically what happened to her (laughs) in real life. Okay, I see. Um, La Llorona is also link to the 10 omens of mexico's conquest apparently i didn't get to do a whole lot of research into that but basically the concept is that they say before the spanish um conquered mexico that Mm -hmm. there was supposedly 10 omens that like said this was coming but they say that la irona was one of them oh really that would be cool to like learn about what the 10 were yeah, yeah, I would have loved to look into it more, but my goodness, with yeah. life and everything, it took yeah. me two weeks just to get what I have today. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, I get it. <laughs> but um, yeah, but she is also possibly based on um, an Aztec goddess. Oh, a, and, a goddess? Yeah, there's actually two possibilities when it comes to that. First off, there's, okay, I'm sorry to any Mexican folk who know how to pronounce these words. Because I don't. <laughs> I'm going to give it my best Try's shot. your best, and it's way better than I ever would. So, so the first possibility is Siwa C- C- Kogel. It's spelled C-I-U-A-C-O-A-T-L. And it translates into snake woman. No. Um, this goddess was known as a savage beast, an evil omen wearing white, and would wander at night wailing about the fate of her children. She was also known as an omen of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, again, considered part of the Mexican conquest omens, which is why they think that La Llorona and her might be kind of related. Mm-hmm. And uh, she may also be the same goddess as Co- Coatlicue which is also she of the snaky skirt, uh-huh. um, who was the mother of, and I'm sorry, but it, I'm going to try my best. It's Huitzilopochtli. <laughs> I'm not right. even going to spell it, guys. Right, it's right. so long. But, um, Wait, a snaky skirt? What does that she mean? She of the snaky skirt. A lot of these mention like a jade skirt or a snake skirt. Like, so like I don't snake know. skin? I guess that oh. was the best I could gather. Or it's like pictures. Medusa, but it's like snakes as a skirt. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. She doesn't turn anyone to stone, though, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so she was the mother of that, um, who is also the Aztec god of war. That okay. crazy long name. Yes. <laughs> um, she is known as being the ugliest and dirtiest. Like her face was very dirty. Okay. And she weeps and mourns for her son's return from war. So that's all, like, there was two goddesses listed, but they say they might be the same one. It's just maybe different spellings and name because they're both very similar. Yes. Um, The other goddess that La Llorona might be based off of is, again, another long name, but I'll try my best. (laughs) It's Chalchui Chalchuhuetliku. (laughs) 
Sorry, guys. In the sources, there's a link where they talk thoroughly about all this and they have the names in there. (laughs) Um, But again, that means Jade Skurgig one. Uh, She was the Aztec goddess of waters and the elder sister of Tlaloc, the Aztec god of rain. Okay. Um, She was known to drown people and overturn boats and and oh and i'm sorry guys i should have said a trigger warning at the beginning of this but i'll say it now uh there is a lot about child murder in this story yeah that's one thing about (laughs) la llorona that i'm like oh it's really bad but (laughs) yeah so hopefully um I'll maybe put a note in the social media post or something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, trigger warning, guys. It does talk a lot about child murder. I tried to tone it down just a little bit because I don't even like talking about it. But yeah, I mean, um, you'll probably talk about this later too. But it's it's all what's used a lot for parents to warn their kids. Oh yeah, about going to like ditches and stuff. So Yorona doesn't get you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so with this Jake Skurgit goddess, um, she the ceremonies that honored her did include child sacrifices oh that gosh. were very brutal um, because they believed the more that the child cried, the more successful the sacrifice was. So and what would they get out of this sacrifice? Um, basically, she wouldn't um, drown them or overturn their boats. She would leave them alone in the water. Horrible. So, yeah. Yeah, um, like I said, the article goes way more in depth on what they did to these poor kids, but yeah, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically she may possibly be based on those Aztec goddesses, La Llorona. Okay. Um, there's also a possibility that the story may have actually originated in Germany. Oh. Because there is a tale called, and again, I am not German and I apologize, <laughs> but I'm trying, uh, there's one called Die Weiss Frau, which um, translates to the White Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very similar story that was already old by the time the first La Llorona story was recorded in Mexico. Like I said, the first recording they found was in 1550. Mm-hmm. Um, this story was is found to be as old as 1486. Oh, okay. Um, but it is in my brief version it's a, basically a peasant girl who gets screwed over by a young aristocrat she murders her children she had with him and goes insane and dies violently but then she becomes a malign uh ghost or temptress so okay. that's the german one in a very short brief version <laughs> you know what i was thinking about too um which i don't know if there's a reason for this or if you know anything about this but why why is it just her that's doing the hunting and not like her children you know um i think it's because more like because i think the hope this is just me going off of my thoughts um i think the idea is that people hope that these kids were able to move on and have some sort of peace yeah you know in the fact that their mother was punished for what she did yeah but um as we will see there are a couple versions where her kids have stuck around but it's not very common yeah it's not and i've always thought that i'm like that's a horrible way to die and then i mean i guess it, it is too like the mom has like ufb you know unfinished business so yeah she's the one that sticks around 
Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, yeah, they did have a traumatic fate. So I mean, I could see some people seeing as the kids still being around. But I think the hope is, is that the kids are at peace. Because yeah. Their mother... They passed on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so there are there's some similar tales around New Mexico, but aren't quite La Llorona. But I thought they deserved a little bit of mention here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so there is a lost bride who is said to haunt White Sands, New Mexico, crying for her lover. Oh. There's also an Indian princess who is said to haunt and cry in Belen's old town. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Rio Puerco in northern Socorro County is haunted by a woman who was murdered by her lover. So and they're all are- crying. Yeah. yeah wailing ghosts yeah so they're similar but not quite la Llorona, mm-hmm. you know and let's see and then um the themes that commonly ro- revolve around her story are the themes of motherhood and the feminine condition which i'll get into a little bit more later uh life after death being determined by your life choices mm-hmm. so obviously she killed her kids so she doesn't get to have peace in the afterlife yes um and again the big theme that you kind of mentioned already is a way for parents to scare their kids straight um primarily me when i was little for (laughs) sure i can tell you how many houses i had up against arroyos that scared the living heck out of me (laughs) yeah for sure um but yeah so as i mentioned there are so many versions of la Llorona's origin story you know Mm -hmm. um Commonly, she's a beautiful young peasant woman who married a local man. And in one version, she had three children. Uh, oh, I heard this, that one. Yeah. So there's this. So I kind of have a list of various versions that we okay. get to go through and see. So, okay. Yeah. So this one, again, young peasant woman, she married a local man, had three kids. Um, then her husband died, but a handsome young suger came around. Uh-oh. And he was into her and she was into him, but he was like, you know what? Not into I, her kids. No, uh, I don't want to deal with kids, man. No, I don't want your kids. Horrible. So she wanted that guy so bad. She drowned her kids so she could have him. Eey. Um, Her grief Gross. and guilt. <laughs> <laughs> her grief and guilt of her choice drove her mad. And now people still hear her wailing near a river calling for her children. Um, some yeah, because that guy was probably like, "Still, I don't want you." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now that you killed your kids and you're crazy. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And um, some say she snatches misbehaving or careless children from ditches, either drowning them or keeping them as her replacements forever. Mm. Um, and as you again kind of mentioned, uh, so again, this ke- scares and warns kids away from the ditches and the waterways, and even in Albuquerque. Some city officials used the ditch wish campaign Mm -hmm. to try to keep kids from ditches and arroyos because they are very dangerous. Even though we're in the desert, they can still be extremely dangerous because um, we get flash flash floods here all the time when it rains. It's crazy. Yeah. Because when it rains, it rains hard. And yeah. Yeah. And then it'll be gone two hours later and sunny. (laughs) So (laughs) it makes no sense. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But yeah. So. That's, again, one version. Another version says that Maria is a very common name um, okay. in these stories. Either her name was originally Maria or Luisa. 
Those are the two names that were mentioned in like all the versions that I was reading. Okay. Um, so again, Maria born to a peasant family, a small village. She was extremely beautiful and had many suitors. In this one, she would go to the local Fandangos, which was basically like a dance hall mm. at night and in a white gown and quote unquote thrill her admirers. But she had two small kids that made these outings difficult. Uh, So one day they happened to turn up in the canals drowned. And it's been debated if they died from neglect or if she murdered them for more freedom. Horrible. Either way. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like, I I don't get this. But no. um, Again, another story from Mexico City says that she drowned all of her kids, which were many in the canals. So many. So yeah, Ooh. in some in some versions, um, Maria was a little loose. <laughs> oh gosh. And, and she, she had a was bunch just, of kids with a bunch of men. She was just having all those kids and she didn't want to deal with them, so she was putting them out. Uh, which is a very flippant way to say that and I just because I can't <laughs> handle this. Yeah, it's horrible. I guess that's the hard thing. It is so horrible. That was one of the rough things. Like, I was like, oh, it'll be so fun to do La Llorona because it was like a crazy tale. And then, like, the more you dig into it, the darker and darker it gets. And, like, me having my own young son, it's like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Yeah. horrible. So, sorry, guys. I don't mean to, like, make a joke of it, but that's the only way I can keep from crying. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Horrible. Um, But, yeah. So, anyways, so eventually she became repentant of her actions and she started to haunt the streets at night wailing and dressed in white uh if she runs into someone she cries out for her children and disappears there was also a similar version like this in an article by thomas alabone janvier from 1906 Mm -hmm. this one and i have kind of the story here like a briefer version (laughs) But it's a beautiful woman, very popular with the men, would party a lot. Uh, she ended up having a lot of children as a result, but would throw each one into the city canals to drown them. Eventually, either a saint or a priest got her conscience working, and she started wandering the streets, wailing at night, but no one could see her. So they don't know if she, like, died or if she just became a ghost instantly from being repentant. I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, Sometimes she will wake a sleeping watchman and ask for the time before freaking out at the answer as if lost and can't find her children and disappears. So, like, basically, she would go up to a watchman that was sleeping, wake him up, and then... Why is he sleeping in his job? Right? That was my question. (laughs) And I'm like, apparently this happens multiple times because it's like, watch men, not just watch man. (laughs) She goes and wakes him up. She's like, I got this. I'll I'll make them alert. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so she would like wake him up and be like, hey, what what time is it? And they'd say like, oh, midnight. And she's like, oh, no, I'm not in Guadalajara. You know, like I'll never find my children, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and then she'd just disappear. Um, the watchmen who encountered her would temporarily lose their senses and become catatonic. But when regaining their senses would tell the officers or the higher ups. But they would never be believed. Um, so yeah. one night, one night, an <laughs> officer came across a woman in white with a reboso covering her face. And a reboso is basically like a scarf. Like, it's like a, a big scarf that you can cover your head with. And, okay. But this was covering her face. Um, somehow, they ended up uh, getting it on, having some fun times. Whoa, what? 
Right? He just runs into this chick and he's like on the job, but hey, we're going to have sex on the side. He's like, I don't even need you to move that Roboso or whatever. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as they're doing the deed, he tells her, uncover your face. I want to see how beautiful you are. She's like, you don't want me to do that. (laughs) When she lifted it to expose her face, she was actually a skull and a skeleton. Oh my gosh, but the rest of her body was <laughs> apparently. No, but then she um she did breathe an icy breath on him, and when he came to, he went to the police station, told his story, and died. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well. So guys, think I mean with the, yeah. think with the right head, guys. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you're working. Come on. <laughs> um Let's see. Another popular Mexico City version says a woman of humble origins was forsaken by her rich lover and then stabbed her two children and herself. Again, now wanders the streets as a beautiful woman at night crying for her sons. So that's the thing in Mexico City, very commonly, she actually wanders the streets instead of along the waterway. Like, she'll eventually end up at waterways, but she kind of hangs out in the city, too. Well, aren't the streets in Mexico City pretty scary at night? I think Mexico in general is kind of scary exactly. right now. Exactly. So they're but... like, it's the streets, it's the waterways, it's everywhere. Stay inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, let's see. There was also a, another interesting version that I thought kind of tied in well with our our podcast here, mm-hmm. where she's also known as La Serena. She's mm. like a siren. siren. Uh, she appears in villages of Chiapas, Mexico, hi- the highlands. Just after dark, when men were going home from the fields, uh, she calls them in familiar voices to lure them to high cliffs or large cacti. Gosh, they and... were just done working for the day and wanted to go home. <laughs> yeah, no, and she would literally call in, like, their their wife or their children's voices, so they would come. Uh, like, what? what are you doing over by that cliff, honey? <laughs> <laughs> um, she's also said to haunt lakes and canals and lure children to their death. Um, she's compared a lot with a siren or a banshee mm-hmm. as she lures men to their doom with her beauty or wailing. Her cry can also be seen as a portent of death and doom. And in some stories, her sounds paralyze her potential victims. I, you know what I was just thinking? I was like, this is, you probably, if you hear a woman crying at night, like just stay away from her. But at the same time, no, because yeah. what if there are actually women who need help, you know? Yeah. It's like the catch 22 of it all exactly yeah so um but yeah so so here's the crazy thing is some stories she's actually more equated with satan oh um one story that i found was a beautiful woman who played cards with a man at a bar but he ended up discovering during the game that she had hooves for feet which is um a common way to identify satan in folktales and so yeah in that story he like noticed he was like wait a second like he happened to <laughs> glance down like and he was like hold on and then but they say he played it cool and he just like finished out his game and then bowed out and went home <laughs> oh my gosh he's like, uh, what kind of shoes you got oh my gosh yeah the devil. if i remember right i think actually in that version it mentioned that she started playing footsie with him and that's how he noticed <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> Let's see with her hoe. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, what? <laughs> um, which you caught. And so there's some stories, there's one like some stories that really vary off. They call it La Llorona, but it's like way off kind of. Oh. 
Like, so like, for example, in, in Nogales, Mexico, the story doesn't have her killer children. She's actually cursed by her mother to never stop weeping when she was disobedient. Oh, um, another story, another story from this area has that La Llorona is actually the one of the wives of Cortez and she just weeps at his grave. No, oh, okay. Um, in Patagonia, La Llorona is a sailor's widow whose ghost weeps and continuously searches for him to return. Okay. So there's a lot of variety in her appearance, though, in these stories. So I oh. listed a few things. So in some cases, she's actually a nine foot tall woman in white. Oh my gosh, that's scary <laughs> in and of itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are that you on the me- WNBA? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is it made me think of um oh gosh, there's a video game. Uh, was it Resident Evil? It's one of the Resident Evils, the one where it was the one that came out recently. And it had, like, a Lady Demetriscu. Everybody was all into her because she was, like, this ridiculously tall, huge, like, vampire woman. Oh. And <laughs> I was picturing, like, have you ever seen um, uh, Barbarian? I don't know. Probably not. It's a very oh, okay. disturbing horror movie, but the lady at the end is, like, really tall. But it's played by a man in real life. But she's, like, really tall and scary. <laughs> Oh god, that's what I was picturing. Only she oh, does yeah. not have a top on. Oh, lovely! Yeah, <laughs> no, Lady Dimitriscu is dressed very um, sib- not so. What is that called? Um, I don't know. She's very pr- uh, proper, kind of. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but she does have a big white gown, so oh, okay, makes me think of her a little bit. Got it. But anyways, she's also known to be thin with long dark hair that's often wet. Some most of the time it mentions her being a gorgeous woman, but there's also times that she comes across as an ugly old hag. They're like, I'm not gonna help you. <laughs> yeah. You're ugly. Oh, yeah. just um war- anyway, sometimes she's an ugly old hag. Um, and as I mentioned in one of the versions, her face is sometimes shrouded, or it's just a skull, or mm. in some cases, it actually her face is demonic or even animal-like. Like there was somewhere her face looked like a horse's skull or a horse head what yeah like man there is something wrong with you yeah why the long face um and some stories say that she can change into animals like witches with their familiars okay um but yeah and as i mentioned before some stories not many but some do say that actually la llorona and her children are still alive and they've seen them what <laughs> yeah i don't know i couldn't find a whole lot on that one again because it's such a rare version but yeah. i guess some people say that they're just eternal and they're just always having issues i guess <laughs> it's like um they're like the yeti they're just always around i guess but yeah. elusive, <laughs> very elusive yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so Again, some other varieties, uh, the method of the children's deaths vary. Um, drowning is the most popular, but some of them, uh, you know, she kills them in various other ways. Basically, any way you can think of committing a murder, there's a version with it. Nice. Um, but there is also a version, some versions, where she doesn't actually quite murder her kids. It's more of an accident. 
so huh. there is one story I found where she was actually trying to leave her abusive husband and hid her kids under a bridge while she went to got things ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they ended up either freezing to death or caught in the water and drowning. Yeah, don't hide your kids under a bridge. Yeah. It's not a good place. <laughs> yeah. Oh my um, gosh. So that was a much more tragic version. And yeah. um let's see. And then there's also um some people point out that like her role as a child abductor or murderer um makes her similar to other tales, such as like the myth of a uh, fairy changeling where a fairy or similar creature will steal a child and replace them with something else. Uh, there's also... Like a what? Ch- um, I, you know, like... Like a doll? Kind of, but like almost like something that acts like a baby, but as they get older, you realize they're not human. Like a, like a skinwalker almost? I guess, maybe, yeah. Something like that. It's very... Interesting. It's- it's something that would ha- I would have to research a heck of a lot okay. more. <laughs> okay. I was like, they replace them with what? <laughs> yeah, like, I've heard, like, people briefly mention it before, but I've never heard anyone go in-depth about it, so I don't okay. know all the intricacies. But there is also a Jewish myth of Lilith, who is a childless demon who harms mothers and their babies. Anyway, so I don't know how much I quite agree with this, but there is a branch of feminists who use La Llorona as an icon, and they change her story to further their ideas. So they claim that La Llorona only murdered her children because she was a victim of misogynistic patriarchal society. And they often make up reasons to justify the murders. Mm, I don't think there's ever an okay time to murder your own children, but that's just me. (laughs) I don't either, but yeah, it's that one when I read about it, like there was a whole lot more about it that I just could not take it seriously. So I was like, I'll mention it, but yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a really difficult time with that one. Yeah. So, of course, we've talked now kind of about her origins and a little bit of the variety going on there. Um, but of course, even though she is primarily considered a folktale, many people claim to have encountered La Llorona for reals yes um i don't know it might be true or it might also serve as a tool when sharing oral traditions that helps develop the story more and give it more structure (laughs) Uh, structure is important (laughs) but who knows some people swear by it but um a couple fun stories that i found about her being seen post death and during her haunting Mm-hmm. Um, one was from uh, New Mexico Ghost Stories by Antonio R. Garces uh, so in this one it says um, one summer day in 1931 a girl named Guadalupe and her two brothers went to the Santa Fe River to play the boys were playing in the water while Guadalupe was on the riverbank when a wind came with the sound of bells and Guadalupe was paralyzed where she stood they all heard a woman sobbing and calling, Mija, Mija. Even though the brothers heard her say, Mis hijos, mis hijos. When they could move again, they all ran home and told their parents what happened. Oh, it doesn't end it. there. <laughs> the parents decided to go back with them because this woman's crying. Maybe she needs help. But they were a little apprehensive. Yes. And they say, okay, so they go back, they go to see what's calling going on, and they hear her still crying as they approach. Uh the father first called out and he said, Who goes there? Like who's out there? 
but no one answered. She just kept crying, Missy, hoss, Missy, hoss. The mother then cried to the woman to leave her children alone. They realized it's probably La Yoronga that. <laughs> oh my God. So. Imagine if your kids like were like, Mom, this happened. And then you went out there and it like really did. And you're like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'd be like, We're leaving now. <laughs> never coming back. Yes, we're here, never playing again. <laughs> um, but they all started to leave after a while when one brother saw and pointing out to the others a woman apparition floating over the water. And she was floating towards them. But once they all looked at her, she disappeared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> so some stories also use La Yoronga to warn people away from other bad habits or actions um, so obviously most of the time it's like kids stay away from rivers, waterways, craziness just don't go out at night it's just not a good idea yeah um, some of the pants? stories yeah <laughs> So, like, how we were talking earlier about, like, the officer who was having sex on the job, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so oftentimes her story is used to warn away from other stuff. So, for example, there is the story of um, Patas Huecas. I think mm -hmm. I said that right. Mm -hmm. uh, also known as Crooked Feet. Ooh. And this story was featured in a book called Erie, New Mexico, which is a collection of eerie or spooky stories from around New Mexico by Ray John de Aragon. Uh, of course, versions may vary due to oral tradition, but this is the version that he wrote down. And so around 1905, there was a husband named Tomas Rendido in Ocate, New Mexico, who was abusive and alcoholic and just all around trash. Like he mm -hmm. was not a good person. Um, his nickname was Patas Huecas because his footsteps sounded like a chaotic horse. Like that was oh, my right. best definition. Like in there, he describes <laughs> a lot more beautifully because he's writing it as a story. But yeah, basically okay. his feet were huge. And when he walked, it just sounded like a horse that didn't know where it was going. Is what they <laughs> said. Um, wow. In Spanish, yeah. <laughs> in Spanish, uh, patas refers more to animal feet, while pies is human feet. So they called him patas, chuecas. Mm. Um, so he would go to the bar and drink a lot, while his wife Maria Cristina worked hard to care for his home and children. Um, but one night, while he was drinking and partying at the bar, he saw a very beautiful young woman with long dark hair and lashes and pale glowing skin but she wouldn't let him see her whole face. He happened to run into her on the way home. Cause at the, in the bar, I guess they just made googly eyes at each other, but they didn't really do anything. Okay. So, but on his way home, he runs into her mm -hmm. and uh, she knew his name and she was flirting with him and, you know, making more googly eyes and getting a little closer. <sighs> um, and he started to consider her. Maybe, maybe we might have some fun here. Like, oh, oh, maybe, you know, yeah. screw my wife, no. forget my wife, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And he was thinking about doing more. But then all of a sudden, as he's, his mind starts going to these things, uh, her face suddenly morphed into this old hag. And she just <laughs> let out this shrieking wail in his face. Oh, my gosh. Um. So immediately he freaked out and started running home. She chased him and she was reaching at his shoulders, trying to grab him with her cold hands. Ooh, she's like, get your butt home. <laughs> <laughs> and he got home 
And his wife let him in as he was banging on the door and screaming that somebody was chasing him. But when she looked out, she only saw a grumpy looking owl nearby. An owl? Um, yeah. So remember how I mentioned that sometimes they make La Yoronga more like a witch with a familiar? Yeah. So sometimes they say that that owl is her. And it's got like eyebrows that point down. That's how you know it's grumpy. I guess it's just a grumpy owl. <laughs> Um, but Patas ended up going to church and praying and repenting all night long, and he ended up living a better life after being scared straight by La Llorona. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, in, so, moving on, in Mexico, there's a rumor or myth that you can summon La Llorona by lighting red candles and enclosing yourself in a room with walls covered or decorated with mirrors, and you just repeat her name until you see her. Well, I so. don't know when I would ever be in that situation, but if it occurs, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know, kind of Bloody Mary-esque kind yeah, of thing. So. But very specific. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she is commonly said to appear when children are misbehaving or just hanging around lakes or rivers wailing for her children. Okay. I'll tell um, them I'll be to listen to this episode. Behave <laughs> <laughs> or she's going to get you. <laughs> so she will also again talking about teaching different lessons she will also teach a lesson to people who mistreat their family mm -hmm. uh for example there was a boy who talked back to her mother and or to her mother his mother <laughs> <laughs> this is a gender neutral boy apparently <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm knocking things over around here um but basically he was talking back to his mom and him and his brother went out in their horse-drawn carriage to go somewhere because it was ye old days. Oh, okay. And as Imagine firing up the horse before you yeah, had to go exactly. anywhere. <laughs> so wake up, let's go. <laughs> so him and his brother were going off in their carriage. And as they were going, this La Llorona actually appeared between him and his brother. And she looked at him and said, I will find you if you ever talk back to your mother again. Ooh, I'm like, oh, okay. I'll ever do that again ever, I promise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there are actually some rumors that she haunts the Public Employees Retirement Association building in Santa Fe, New Mexico. <laughs> it's very specific of her. Right? Um, <laughs> but it's built on Spanish Indian graveyard near the Santa Fe River. And there are many accounts of cries resounding in the halls and invisible hands pushing people on the stairs. Oh. So that's all I could really find on that. But yeah, they all say it's La Llorona, like <laughs> bugging them at work. <laughs> but um, there are even some stories of her appearing as far north as Montana by on the Yellowstone River. Oh. And in the sources, I'll include a link to this article, but there's an article in the Valencia County News Bulletin that has um, a few accounts of people citing uh, La Llorona around New Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's all the sightings. And then, so La Llorona in modern context is also a very interesting, uh, like, I don't know, saga. Yes, <laughs> it's very dramatic. So yeah, so she's now used worldwide in media, logos, film, animation, art, poetry, theater, literature, songs, 
there's a figurine of her there's a talking doll mm-hmm. there's an opera <laughs> she's everywhere she's on facebook <laughs> <laughs> follow her like <laughs> Um, Las Cruces, New Mexico actually has a park named after her. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and there's even a couple children's books about her. Um, one especially written by Rudolfo Anaya, who is known for writing Bless Me Ultima. There's actually a movie based on his book. Oh, okay. Bless Me Ultima, not La Llorona. But oh, he did oh. write a children's La Llorona book. Got it. Um, and... As we've been kind of saying over and over again, she's used as a boogeyman for less things um, to keep their kids from ditches and home at night. But again, there's other things that she's used as as a boogeyman for. So like in one article, they talked about like how a grandma told her grandkids that La Yoronga would take them away if they didn't go to sleep on time. Um, one very mean babysitter told some kids that she was watching that they needed to behave because their mom was really la yoronga and would kill them if they didn't my gosh (laughs) you know what the babysitter said about you mom (laughs) yeah right (laughs) um as a side note i um i did want to put in here that unfortunately her story can be a little too real uh mothers murdering their children isn't actually very rare um unfortunately yeah in the benjamin radford book uh mysterious new mexico that i've mentioned in a few other episodes uh he actually has a whole breakdown of the statistics of mothers you know uh taking their children's lives and all that yeah um one specific example that a lot of articles mentioned though was in 1986 there was a mexican woman named wanga leija and she threw her seven children into the Buffalo Bayou in Houston, Texas. Uh, two of her children did drown. The oh other gosh. ones were saved. Well, uh, like, sh- sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. Uh, so she was supposedly trying to end their suffering from domestic violence. And, but one thing that was a little strange was that at her trial, it's either at her trial or in an interview. A couple articles said differently. But she did announce at one point, I am La Llorona. So... She no. tried to take that on. I don't know. No. Yeah. It's pretty evil. Yeah. So there's a little bit of well, surprise. Well, I don't, I was going to say, uh, I just think it's like weird if there's seven of you and you see your mom like one, two, three, like wouldn't, wouldn't they fight back or something? I don't know. That's just like interesting. No, no. I don't know what the ages were of these children. Cause yeah. I know like if they're young enough, sometimes they will just do what their mom says yeah it's horrible because your mom's supposed to be ultimate protector yeah so i don't know again i didn't look into thoroughly into the details of this one because i i have a really hard time with uh children cases yeah (laughs) it's horrible um but yeah so she that was one that was mentioned though multiple times so i figured it it could get mentioned yeah um I will say if you are a mother and you are struggling with thoughts of harming your children, please reach out to for mental health help. Because yes. that's probably something you can And there's other with. ways of getting rid of your children besides killing them too. Yes. You can't handle raising them. Um, but anyways, so back to the story as a fictional yes. <laughs> aspect. Um, so some modern versions, interestingly enough, have the story of La Yeronga, um, have her appear at dumps now. Oh. 
so that's actually a modern development in the story and that's partly because waterways are not as common in urban landscapes so the idea of a mom drowning her kids isn't as common anymore yeah she's Um, taking them to the dump and stuff yeah (laughs) well that's the thing is you know if you've been watching the news anytime recently it you know women leaving their babies in the trash is actually becoming a more common thing yeah i guess that's Um, true so um and as i'll kind of get into pretty uh in a little bit uh what's interesting is when you really start analyzing the story of Lionona, it kind of reflects some of society at the time so having this development more recently of it becoming more at the dump than on yeah. the water you know yeah um there are also a few versions where she appears at crossroads i don't know i wasn't able to find too much on that but that is a possibility for her to come around so she just shows up everywhere now yeah crossroad ghosts are like a whole thing in and of itself and you can see her being one of them oh yeah for sure but um so i had mentioned a while back that there was a uh, records in 1550 in mexico of la Llorona. um there was but it seems like, I don't know, trying to piece together all these sources I found, it seems like maybe her story wasn't really written again until the late 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. Because her story is primarily an oral tradition. But yeah. um, but looking at these earlier versions that were written down, like I said before, they show how the story has changed over time and how it reflects society at the time that it's written. So, for example, there's a 1917 La Llorona play by Francisco C. Neve. Uh, except, it actually takes place in the late 1500s, but it reflects colonial New Mexico. Not New Mexico. Colonial Mexico. Not okay. New Mexico. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in this play, uh, again, this is where um, her name changes to Luisa. She has a son with a man named Ramiro, who is the son of Cortez and a high status man. Uh, Ramiro hides his upcoming marriage to a higher status woman and his plans to take his his son from Luisa. Mm-hmm. So he like hides his whole flipping marriage and he's like, yeah, everybody else knows I'm going to get married to this other woman, but I'm just going to sleep with this girl as long as I can. Oh, gosh. But once, once he got married... He was planning to take their son from Louisa. Um, Louisa finds out she goes mad and she murders their son as revenge. Uh, but eventually she was hanged for her crime and she was called a witch. Uh, as she, when she dies, she becomes so horrible to like, take it out on your child for what I, a man's I'm doing like, to you. The kids horrible. Yeah. Just run away with your child. Yeah. But anyway, so as she dies, she becomes La Llorona and she ends up haunting Ramiro until he dies. Mm. Um, looking at the historical significance of this, uh, it shows that. Um, sorry, it, we're going into a history lesson. My okay. brain is dying. I'm half <laughs> sick. <laughs> and the more that you're talking, I'm like feeling like I'm getting sick. Like, my nose is getting stuffed. I'm like, might as well just record it in person. (laughs) I am contagious through Zoom. Yes. (laughs) It's viral. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so a little bit of historical background that kind of helps with understanding the story of La Llorona 
is that um, originally when the when Spanish men were coming and conquering and settling Mexico, uh, there weren't as many women that came with them. Oh, okay. So in what was then called New Spain, but is Mexico, uh, they didn't have Spanish women. So the unions between indigenous women uh-huh. um, were more common and they weren't a big deal. Like they were like, these are the women that are here. We're going to get with them, you know? Yeah. Um, but by the end of the 16th century, there were more European women that were coming into New Spain and the status of indigenous and what was becoming the mestiza women, which mestiza means like mixed race. So okay. half Spanish, half indigenous. Mm-hmm. Um, but their status like tanked as these European women were moving in because they're like, oh, wait, we got our Spanish women back, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. Um. And of course, like racism and thinking yeah. that you're superior, all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, some of the indigenous and mestiza women did enjoy a stable or decent life with Spanish men, but it was more common that they would be cast aside for younger and or Spanish women. Uh, their children were also often taken from the mothers due to racist beliefs that they couldn't properly raise them. Oh, gosh. Like they started saying, it was like that whole pure race. Job. Oh, yeah. Horrible. Um, but the status of indigenous mestiza and even Creole women mm-hmm. as um, African, well, not they weren't African Americans there, just black as black people were being introduced into the society. Yes. Um, all of their status continued to dwindle to almost nothing by the 17th century, um, 1600s, uh, which eventually led to segregation and other laws and issues that are similar to what we know in the United States of like yeah. racism and all that. Um, but basically, I got some of this information from an article from History Today, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, I will have that source linked in the um, episode notes but it was a very interesting literary analysis of the La Llorona story and how other examples and versions from different eras reflected the changing society in Mexico I would love to go more into it but I'm sure you guys are getting sick and tired of La Llorona at this point <laughs> you get it she's crying ghost yeah <laughs> um but yeah so it was a very interesting thing it's a great read if you guys get a chance to look into it i was very intrigued um but another interesting uh modern take on la llorona was in the 1960s a woman named bess lomax haas wrote an essay called la llorona in juvenile hall which is where she interviewed like a bunch of kids about their La Llorona stories in a California juvenile detention center. And their stories included like some people would just say basic stuff. Like they're like, I don't know. She was a malevolent spirit or a harbinger, um, harbinger of trouble or the cause of trouble. Like they're like, ah, she's just like an evil ghost. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, some people, some kids said she was a dangerous siren who lured men in before turning her face into a skeleton, horse head, or void. Like, just nothing there, I guess. Um, one kid, poor kid, I think it's hard because they're juvenile hall, so I know they took something wrong, but still. Like, (laughs) one kid told, was told by a counselor that La Llorona drowned kids because they were bad and would actually and would attack kids randomly in June. Apparently June was her time to attack children. Oh. 
It's an interesting month. Yeah. <laughs> um, another kid said that she killed her three daughters because they reminded her of her husband and now goes to institutions and foster homes looking for kids. And if she sees a girl with qualities like one of her daughters, she will cut it off and try to keep it. Ooh, the feature? Yeah. So like, oh, you have a nose like my daughter I killed. Let me take that real quick. Ooh. So that was one version that I can't do. My goodness, that's scary. Yeah. So I guess as the story travels to California, it gets a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, so in the 1960s, there was also a Mexican film made about La Llorona by Rene Cardona. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2013, Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, actually had a La Llorona scare zone for their Halloween Horror Nights. Mm, yes. It sounded really, really interesting. But <laughs> of course, now I'm finding out about it 10 years later. Oh, too late. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and finally, one thing I found really interesting is that La Llorona is actually performed annually on Mexico City's Lake. I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry, guys. But Lake for two weeks at the end of October and the beginning of November. Um, and it has been going on for over 20 years. Like a play? Yeah, it's a play that they just have on a lake, I guess. Oh, interesting. Um, but it shows how the story is a big deal to Mexican culture. And it is a somewhat cleaner version of La Llorona's story. I don't remember the details, but I feel like they, like, play down a bit. Like, yeah, she killed her kids, but we're going to move on real quick. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's a part of the Dia de los Muertos celebrations that take place on November 1st and 2nd. Uh, Dia de los Muertos is the Day of the Dead. It revolves around Mexicans' distinctive and jovial attitude towards death. And people will decorate graves and make altars for past family members in their home. But yeah, so they have this play that goes along with those celebrations every year. Interesting. But yeah, so that's the crazy complexity of La Llorona. <laughs> so scary, guys. I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid the ditches and the bars and just don't go out. <laughs> and if a woman's crying, call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. That's a good, scary, spooky story. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to get into mine. So I had to do for mine. I didn't think this uh, topic that I chose would be have so much information, but it just did. Like I, I literally... I have used a a bunch of different sources, but the main thing that I used was a book that I found. And um, I just like got so much information on this topic. So I am going to talk about a haunted doll. And this doll's name is Peggy the doll. Have you ever heard of Peggy the doll? I was expecting you to say multiple other dolls, but I don't know if I've heard of Peggy. (laughs) So Peggy is, um, she's, she's super, super famous in the, like, I guess kind of like the Zach Baggins world too, you know, the ghost adventures guy. Oh, that's why I haven't heard of it. (laughs) I don't, I don't like ghost adventures. (laughs) 
books. Yeah, I don't watch it either, but I didn't realize until like halfway through this book, the author mentioned like that's where she is now is at his museum in Vegas. Of course. Yes. So, all right. So the source that I used for this is the book called Peggy the Doll, A Very Different Haunting. And this book was written by Jane Harris. Um, Jane is pretty badass lady she's got a lot of stuff going on so she is a tv presenter a podcaster and a paranormal investigator she's known for a few shows on discovery including help my house is haunted um unexplained caught on camera and sky tv's paranormal captured she is also the founder of hd paranormal uh limited and eerie escapes with both, which both offer public paranormal events. Um, she is also a psychologist and historian, and she comes from a long line of um, the paranormal, I guess is what you would call it. Um, both of her great-grandmothers were acclaimed spiritual mediums, although she herself never gained that gift. She instead decided to study the psychology of it and try to find more scientific answers to paranormal hauntings and stuff um yeah you weren't lying when you said she's got a lot she does and (laughs) i didn't even put all of it on here to be honest because there was a lot uh (laughs) um okay okay uh she started her career as as a psychologist in the adult mental health department in 2012 she decided to switch gears and join her husband simon who is a graphic designer to by creating public paranormal events. Um, as she's also a master um, herbologist and a neutropath, she's the owner of a skincare company called The Little Herb Garden. Um, amongst also giving lectures on several paranormal and scientific fields. She currently lives in Herefordshire. It's a countryside in England with her husband and her children. So that's a little background on her because when I started researching this doll, I did not realize like the woman behind it all. She was like, just had a lot, a lot of stuff going on for her. So this story starts, um, well, her portion of Peggy starts on the morning of September 9th, 2014. Um, She was working from home and in the midst of getting ready, uh, breakfast ready for her kids and just getting ready for the day, she decided to sit down and read through her work emails. Uh, That morning, there was only one, but this would be the email that would change her life. The email came from someone asking her immediately for help. They expressed that they believed They can't talk to anybody about what was going on because they were scared. People were going to think they were crazy. They explained that they had a doll in their house that has been there for a couple of months. And this doll is not only haunting their house, but was also haunting them. They say that they got, um, they didn't get rid of the doll, but it wasn't in their house. They're like, I can't even keep this doll in my house anymore. And it's been out of my house for five days And I haven't been able to sleep for five days straight. Every night, a dark figure comes and watches over me. Um, They never speak. They're just like kind of hovering over me. And they, yeah. And they beg Jane to come and help them ASAP. So uh, for safety reasons, 
The previous owner of Peggy was never identified. Jane decided to keep her identity out of it because they kind of didn't even want to be involved in it anymore anyway, because I don't know. This doll really messed this lady up. Uh, normal all sounds intense already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, normally, per procedure, Jane would consult with her husband, Simon, and Hazel Myers, who was a local psychic they would bring in on cases with them. They would mull over the details, go back and forth with the sender of the email, and then decide if the, it was worth even investigating. But the email that Jane received, the urgency in the sender's desperation for help, and the story they told made her agree immediately that they needed to go help. She, So she asked for the address from the lady, and they scheduled to go there by the end of the week. Um, a few days later, they all got in the car and headed to Sheffield, which is north of Storbridge, which I'm sure you don't know where that is. But I'm telling you, anyways. We have uh, some listeners in the UK, so I'm sure they know. Oh, yeah. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, I drive there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> On this particular car ride, Hazel was more quiet than usual. Um, sure, it was normal for her to be quiet while they were heading to a destination so she could kind of get in touch with the spiritual world. But this time was different and the tension was strong in the air. Hazel recalls this car ride, which is cool. What I like about the way that Jane wrote this book is she let people put like a little snippets of what they felt at certain times. So Hazel recalls this car ride where she would normally ask her spiritual guides for help and kind of like for protection. And this time when she like closed her eyes and like opened herself up to that world, just this man appeared and told her, they're not going to help you. So don't ask. Oh, that's fun. I know. <laughs> like, and uh, who was this man? Who knows? So we're turning the car around now. Thanks. <laughs> she, uh, yeah. Well, she was so scared and nervous when this happened, but she didn't want to tell Jane and Simon. She just like kind of kept it to herself. She was like, whoa. Okay. Well, I'm just going to sit here then for the rest of the car ride. <laughs> um, But she knew that they were headed towards something that would challenge them. And Simon and Jane were the whole time had no idea she was going through this. And they were excited and um, talking about the story the lady had sent them as though it were like a horror movie. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is probably one of the scariest things we've heard of before. Here we go. All excited. And then Hazel's all, oh, I don't know about this. We're getting somewhere. I see scared. myself being excited at all if I was driving towards something I got that email about. Well, maybe if it's like what you did for a living and then this is like one of the first like big exciting cases, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'd be scared too. I don't know. Okay. So just shortly after 3 p.m., they arrived to a modest looking home in a quiet cul-de-sac that had pink roses next to the door. And Jane said when they arrived, you would not assume anything crazy was going on in this home it seemed like just a very clean nicely kept house after they knocked quite a few times the woman opened the front door and told them it's about time she looked exhausted in every possible way physically mentally emotionally but she wouldn't let them in she like tried to come in and they wouldn't let her or they they let, tried to come in and she wouldn't let them Jane mm -hmm. 
um, using her psychology degree, tried to get her to let her guard down a little so they could help. She was like, okay, it's clearly this lady's distraught. So let me like use my psychology tactics to calm her down. And even though this woman was giving off very intense vibes, Jane patiently asked her how, if they could help her. And the woman said, it's out there. And she like pointed to the side of the house. Remembering what the woman said in the email that she didn't want to keep the doll inside, they followed her outside to a red brick outbuilding where each step was harder to take towards their imminent doom. Literally, she Jane said, like, you could tell that Hazel was moving slow. Simon was moving slow. It's like they all kind of knew that they were walking towards something that was just going to change them. Um, yeah. Hazel was the first one brave enough to walk through the, uh, the door first, but she went in only for a few seconds enough for her to disappear into it. And then she backed out of the quickly and she kind of like came out holding her head and like as though she was dizzy and she sat on a pot that was nearby and she said that she was like feeling nauseous too um hazel asked jane to go in and get the doll for her since she felt like she opened up psychically to whatever this was too quickly uh, Jane nervously went into the dim garden shed and pulled out a thick red blanket that was wrapped around the doll. So, like, not only did this lady have this doll in a out, like, it was kind of like a, sh- a garden shed, but she also had it like wrapped up in this red blanket. When she brought oh it gosh. out, she handed it to Simon, and he slowly unwrapped unwrapped her to reveal blonde hair, blue eyes, and a pale face. And instantly when Jane saw the doll, her ears rang and her head hurt. Um, Eventually it subsided and Simon put the doll in the car. He didn't even unwrap her all the way. He kind of was like, okay, I get it. And then he wrapped her back up and put her in the car. And then they went inside to hear the stories of what happened to its owner while she had it. Then while leaving, Jane asked the owner if she's like, hey, so... You know, we're going to take the doll. We're going to do what we do. Like, do you want updates? And her response was, quote, that doll nearly ruined my life. I want it to, I want to forget it ever existed. And I hope God protects you all. So I'm going to actually send you a picture of her real quick because um, she's very interesting looking, this doll. Okay. Um. She, I mean, she's kind of like a normal late 1960s type doll, but she is pretty creepy too. Oh, fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking too, when you said that she was in this like shed with like a blanket wrapped around her, like basically when I was young, I was having a sleepover with my cousin and she had a Furby and Furbies, oh. in my opinion, they're possessed evil little things. Yes, I but- hate Furbies. <laughs> hers like would keep saying play with me play with me even (laughs) not kidding we turned off the switch and pulled out the batteries and that thing was still talking and by the end (laughs) of the night we had it in her closet because we couldn't figure out how to open the window we were trying to throw it out the window but we couldn't figure it out (laughs) because we were like 10 and (laughs) 
we ended up having it in the closet, literally buried underneath all of her clothes. And so that so just it was like muffled. It's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Oh, there's the pictures. Here we go. Oh, she's fun. Yeah. Pretty. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she and for people i'm sure people will look it up too but she and it'll be on the social media and stuff but she's got like a long white dress on as well and i'll talk about what's around her neck later okay yeah so when they brought the doll back they did the normal thing that they no- do with haunted objects that they get and they isolated it and set up a bunch of equipment to monitor it The normal, normally though, they do like experiments and sometimes have Hazel come in and do like seances and stuff like that. Just kind of didn't happen right away because all of them were kind of like, okay, now we have this thing. Let's just like leave it aside. We all kind of experience weird stuff. So let's just like leave it alone for a little while. See what happens. And whatever was attached to it was clearly upset by being ignored. Um. Mm -hmm. About six weeks later, in November 2015, Jane suffered debilitating fatigue, migraines, nausea, and dizziness. And she at first didn't equate it to Peggy coming into their lives. Um, She went to the doctors. She would rest. She got medicine. But the doctors were kind of like, I don't really know what's going on with you. You need to relax. Take it slow. Um, she didn't want to believe that the doll was making her sick, but she thought back to when what the original owner said and thought that maybe maybe that was what it was. Hazel even suggested they remove the doll for a couple of weeks to see what happened, but Jane wanted a second of opinion first. She's like, I don't know, I, I maybe that is what it is, but I just want to see maybe what another psychic medium has to say about it. So she po- booked an appointment with a medium named Patricia Redman um, with a false name because she's like, I'm kind of popular in the paranormal world and we always have what we're doing online. So I don't want this medium like immediately being like, oh, do you have a blonde doll in in your possession? That's why Yeah, she wanted to like go in there with as much blank slate as she possibly could to see what would happen. Okay. Um, So on November 5th, she took the doll in in the car with her and drove to Patricia's well-being center. She left the doll in the car at first, though, to see um, what would happen if she didn't. Because she's like, I didn't even mention I was bringing an object and I didn't know if that would offend the medium. So I just wanted to leave her in the car at first to see what kind of reading she would get out of me. When she went into the room, the first thing that Patricia mentioned was if she wanted to invite her friends from the car in because they might get cold while they're out there. And she thought maybe she had mistaken her for another appointment she had um, because she's like, I didn't bring anybody with me. And she's like, no, didn't you pull up in like a black four by four? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, when you came, there was a man and a woman and and a woman in the car with you. Don't they want to come in too? They're not just one, but there's two going on. Yes, yes, pretty much. And Jane was like, uh, I mean, there wasn't a man and a woman in the car with me, at least that I'm aware of. And then suddenly, like, Patricia just stood up and she held onto her head. And even before starting the reading, she said she had to stop. She was like, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with me. This is too much. Like, go back to the front where the... um, 
receptionist is and get a refund because I I can't do this reading today. Oh my and gosh. So Jane was like a little confused and she left and decided maybe Hazel was right. Maybe she should remove the doll and see if that helped. So on November 13th, Hazel took Peggy and only four days later, Jane was feeling better. Uh, so Peggy's so- just basically like an attention whore. Yes, exactly. And she'll do whatever she has to to get your attention. Uh, three, uh, three weeks later, Jane decided that she was well enough for Peggy to return, but only after Hazel cast psychic protection around her and her family because she didn't want it to happen again. And Jane mentioned, too, a lot of times in this book, she's like, I just want to put out there, like, yes, I am a parent and I have kids and I never want to expose my kids to this stuff. Like, you have to understand, I've been doing this for a living for 17 years. I know how to keep, like, that part of my life and my family separate because I think she maybe got a lot of hate for it, you know, like bringing something, which kind of reminds me of the Warrens, you know, I mean, they had like that room full of haunted objects and they're like telling their daughter don't go in there touch anything like yeah can't tell a kid that they're gonna want to go in there and touch everything oh yeah yes um so then jane said that between september of 2014 and january of 2015 everyone involved with peggy had like slow dark down times during these holidays she's like it it wasn't even like a it was like an unspoken thing where like the holidays kind of passed in a blur and she's like, there was like a wedge like put between me and Simon. It was like a weird thing that like people couldn't quite put their finger on of like, why do we feel like that? Like what's going on with us? But it was like kind of a cloud over all of them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the end of January, 2015 that everyone started to kind of get back to normal. This was also when they decided to crack into figuring out exactly what was going on with Peggy the doll, which again is kind of not normal for them because normally they get something, they bring it back and they start immediately like EMF detectors, like, you know, all the different things trying to figure out what's going on. But they pushed it aside and she, Peggy made sure that their, I guess, holidays suffered for it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't, that is odd because like, if, yeah, if I had a haunted demonic doll, I wouldn't want to keep it any longer than I need to. <laughs> yeah, right? You would think maybe, yeah. maybe too, they were just all kind of scared of like, okay, we barely even just looked at her or grabbed her from this shed and we all like were almost debilitated like with migraines and dizziness. So what's going to happen when we actually open up to her? Yeah. Like they were kind of scared. Start digging into it more. Yeah, exactly. Um, It all started... When they first posted a picture of Peggy on their website on February 25th, within 48 hours, they received almost 40 emails about it, which on average, they usually only receive about 12 emails a month. So they were like, like, okay, this, this is like affecting people right after we just post one picture. They, um, all the emails were saying the same thing, such as like, what is this doll that you posted? I've never felt like anything like I felt after looking at the picture of it. I felt dizziness. I got a headache when I first saw the picture. And then even some people were saying that they would open the picture of Peggy and just like 
leave it on their screen for whatever reason. And like, if their dog saw it, specifically dogs, they would start going crazy and like growling and barking at the screen. And girl, you're sending me pictures. (laughs) I know. Well, here's the thing is, I mean, there is some dog stuff in here, which I don't, I don't know. It's not, it's not too bad. It's not like how in depth your child's children's stuff was with La Llorona, but it was enough to be like, Okay, Charlie, like, don't look at this picture of Peggy, okay? <laughs> you promise? You promise, okay. And there was even this lady, which I don't really get this, but she said that she made Peggy the screensaver on her phone. And she said that every time that her phone would go off and it would light up and there would be a picture of her, like, her dog would go crazy. And like, well, why would you put a haunted doll as your screensaver? I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Oh, and for clarification, I don't know if you said it, but Charlie is your dog. Oh, yeah. Charlie is my dog. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so something in Jane, possibly her Catholic upbringing, made her place a rosary on Peggy's neck, like, right after she got her. And over half of the messages received um, in these emails were warnings about this, saying it should be removed or that keeping it on her neck would probably possibly provoke whatever was tied to Peggy. So, but for Jane's like peace of mind, she's like, I mean, I get what they're saying, but I'm going to keep it there because I feel like for my protection and people around me, I just want to keep it on her. Yeah. So they then decided that they would start with a couple of automatic writing sessions. And this was where they would use like hazel as a conduit to let the spirits that may reside in peggy to bring any messages through her through writing um on the way to hazel's house to do this jane did a short video and uploaded it to facebook where she's like driving and peggy's like in the passenger seat and immediately she received a message from this lady named uh catherine redick saying that she, when she watched the video, she felt dizzy and her heart was racing. And Jane was like, oh, like in the comment section, Jane's like, well, maybe you should like take a break from your computer and like not think about it for a while, just brush it aside. And at Hazel's, they got there and Peggy sat next to the fireplace and Hazel was at a desk um, ready to write whatever uh, Peggy wanted to say through her but before they began hazel said that she felt like something was gonna happen she's like and jane's like what do you mean and she's like i don't know i just feel like when we do this something something's gonna happen and so jane's like okay well let's see what's gonna happen uh during that one hour experience something did happen whether it was truly paranormal or just a coincidence is up for interpretation but it did change the course of one person's life. During this automatic reading session, Catherine Redick had a heart attack. And she was not prone to heart attack. She had never had one before. But it's like, sure, it could be a coincidence. But the fact that she, you know, saw this video of this doll and her heart started racing. And then she had a heart attack is just, I don't know, interesting. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah, which I don't know if it if it's necessarily like paranormal or it's just like something that got her heart racing because it was so scary. I don't know. She's like a creepy looking doll. Yeah, because I mean the question comes in my mind, like, did she have something that wasn't detected before that her watching this, like, it kind of freaked her out because of the stories and everything? Yeah, it was like, like a trigger. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, was there something, basically, was there something biological, scientific going on? Or was it like a paranormal yeah. instance? Or a I combination mean, of both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Sorry. So there wasn't, and other than that, like, there wasn't much that came out of the automatic writing thing. Like, they didn't get any answers or anything. And the name Peggy actually came from Hazel. Like, she's like, I feel like there's a possession and it's of a girl named Peggy. So that's kind of where the name came from. And there wasn't much clarification yet at this point. And oh, okay, so wait, so the doll was not known as Peggy until before. this point, right? Okay. Correct. And Jane did say that she had another medium say the same thing that didn't like they didn't outright put the name Peggy out there yet. They just kind of called her the doll because they weren't really sure what to call her. Mm-hmm. And Hazel brought up this name, and then Jane said that later she did take the doll to another medium who also c- brought up that name, but. That name had never been mentioned before. So they're like, okay, okay, maybe her name really is Peggy. Okay. So after the outcry to remove the cross from Peggy, Jane likes her Catholic origins, like her religious side decided that she wanted to reach out to Reverend Martin Jenkins for help. He um, agreed. He was kind of like a... um, a reverend at this Catholic church, but he was kind of like modern. So she's like, he doesn't necessarily want to do like a seance because he's a reverend, but he agreed to be a part of it because um, something had happened to his wife in the past that made him like be a little bit more open to the paranormal world. Okay. But he wasn't like straight up like, oh yeah, like let's do a seance and talk to ghosts. He agreed to what he called a gathering at his church. (laughs) On March 30th of 2015. And this I rename it for the paperwork. Then we're yes, okay. <laughs> it was a gathering. That's what it was. <laughs> um, this included the presence of a member of the church named Donna Griffiths um, to be a note taker. Um, and this event was led by Hazel. And Peggy was basically was like um, in the uh, church. There was an altar off to the side. And the it was Simon, Jane, Reverend Martin, and Hazel at the table. Mm-hmm. And then Donna, the note taker, she was like kind of like off to the side because they wanted her to literally kind of like a, what is it called uh, in court <laughs> where they take notes? Oh, gosh. You're I forget too late at night. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what they're called, but she was supposed to be like not a part of the, the yeah. gathering, but off to the side taking notes. Is that um, the stenographer? Is that... I, I think that's right. Yes. I know. Gosh, it was something. It's late, guys. So <laughs> sorry, guys. Our mom brains are dying. <laughs> Dead already. <laughs> uh, so Pastor Jenkins started by reciting a blessing, and then they all join hands, and Hazel takes over asking Peggy to join. After two minutes of silence, uh, the EMF meter flicks red. Hazel asks if it's Peggy. Um, that's there and then it goes off again and hazel asks why she hasn't crossed over yet and she says that right now in this moment she in her medium's eye she's seeing like a woman standing by the altar that the doll is at like shaking her head like no at her and hazel asks what's wrong 
And then the temperature drops from 18 to 16 degrees on their little temperature reader that they have. And Hazel asked her to com communicate through a pendulum, which is like, I don't know if I've ever seen one until this instance. And I kind of looked it up. It's like a pendulum that like swings, but it also, you could have like letters. So it kind of reads. You know? Oh, like it's like when something hangs from a string, but it, you have the letters underneath and it can hover over. Yes. Okay, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it like reads different words. Mm -hmm. So when she, he asked her to communicate through the pendulum, um, it violently swings like towards Jane, making everybody at the table jump. And Donna, the note taker, says that she hears like a faint laughter in the distance but no nobody else confirmed to have heard that maybe because she was off to the side maybe closer to it mm -hmm. and then hazel starts asking questions she asks if it, if peggy's scared to cross over and she says no she asks if she's responsible for anybody's recent heart problems and she says no and she said well were you just trying to help and she says yes and she said, does she have a purpose and why she's staying there and hasn't crossed over? And she says, yes. And then Hazel keeps asking her to come forward, but she won't. At this point, everyone like gets goosebumps and goes cold and the temperature on the little thermometer thing drops to eight degrees. Holy cow. Yeah. yeah freezing. <laughs> and Jane comments that she can see her. She's like, I see the woman too. She's like, I can't make out I couldn't make out the features of her but I could see like a woman like I guess like the silhouette or whatever of a woman yeah and then pastor Jenkins asks that she respects the church so that they can help her and then they all hear a tap on the window opposite side of the um room of where the altar is and Hazel says at this point the apparition has vanished Simon says he feels someone touch his shoulder and then one last message um, is shown on the pendulum, which is really confusing. But it says, Lindy, L-I-N-D-Y, Harry, Green, Star, Soon. That's what it says. Hmm. And then this gathering ends. Which I don't know. I haven't finished the book, so I don't know if it ever explains what that is. But I have no clue what it means at all. Um, yet. Maybe I will later. Um, in May of 2015, due to high rate of complaints about Peggy, they decide to pull all videos and photos from their website. They instead make an exclusive group for those who still wanted to keep up with the case, but who weren't afraid of the, like, effects of having Peggy be a part of their life. And then they said that or Jane said that after this, a huge kind of support group was formed within these people who were like, oh my gosh, when I saw her picture, this happened or that happened. It was almost like they were like able to say what happened without sounding crazy. Because mm -hmm. I mean, saying you see a picture of a doll and stuff happens is sounds kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, several times people begged to have the opportunity to meet Peggy. It was something that people just wanted so bad. They wanted the opportunity to see her in person. But Jane held back for a while because she saw what happened when they just saw her picture. So she's like, I'm scared of what'll happen if they actually meet her in person. Like, 
you need a oh. crazy waiver for that <laughs> yeah and like our lady dam had a heart attack so who knows <laughs> all of the cats are on my table right now and dracula dracula okay <laughs> he likes to step on my keyboard so i'm hoping he doesn't try that right now uh so she was afraid um to to be held liable obviously but they eventually decided that they were like okay let's set up an event where it can almost be like because we we've gotten to see what people say happens when they see pictures or videos of her but i guess now we'll have willing participants and what happens when you see her in person i guess like she called them almost like guinea pigs but they knew what could potentially happen yeah so she decided to set up this event at a haunted location <laughs> meet and greet with peggy <laughs> yes let's uh just don't touch her i think it's <laughs> probably a good idea um so they wanted to find a haunted location because she was like if we choose a haunted location then maybe it'll help open up that world or whatever hmm. since this was a trial experience um, and people were paying for it. She decided to have all the proceeds go to uh, Click Sergeant Children's Cancer Charity because she just felt like if the proceeds were going to something she believed in and was positive, then hopefully it won't like affect Peggy negatively, you know, if they were just like profiting off of it. Yeah. And they decided to do their event at uh, Derby Goal. And basically, the uh, Derby is a, a city or Providence or whatever in England, and Goal means jail, is what it okay. means. Okay. So it's an old jail in between numbers 50 and 51 of Frergate in Derby, and it was used between 1756 and 1828, and it's considered one of the most haunted locations in the country. And I was looking this place up and you actually can uh, rent it out to this day if you want to go have a haunted experience, I guess. Well, the second we can hop on a plane to England, I'm sure. Let's go. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, and this space was hosted by Richard Felix, who is a historian best known for TV's Most Haunted. So, like, hmm. he is the host of that show. Okay. Uh, they also decided not to use Hazel for this event since it would be far too much for her because Hazel has never been the type of medium who even she's like, she sees her, her abilities as gifts, but she doesn't ever want to profit off of them. She's not like one of those mediums that's all like, oh, look at what I can do or watch like all these tricks and stuff. She's kind of more like wants to help, but doesn't want to be made famous for her abilities and so they thought if they invited her to this event it would be just way too much for her she didn't even really want to be around people which girl same so yeah. <laughs> they decided instead to use a new medium and his name was ian griffiths uh which he had a ton of experience and jane actually met him on facebook when they both were commenting on like uh, some kind of haunting case and they were both commenting and then she got to know him that way um, at the time, they asked him to join them. Ian was on hiatus from doing medium work, but he said that he was ready to come back and this was the perfect opportunity for him. Uh, Ian mentioned that he works with a paranormal investigator named 
Paul Bosworth and asked if he could join. And Jane obliged, saying, the more the merrier. Um, all of the guests that bought tickets were getting excited and wanted to meet Peggy for several different reasons. The, sorry, the tension and excitement was building. And in the meantime, Peggy was being prepared by Hazel for this event. Hazel kept mentioning that she believed there was a dark entity surrounding Peggy that she wanted to prepare and ward off as much as possible. And she felt that it was a hundred percent necessary. So another thing to mention too, is that um, Jane, like I was saying, she's Catholic and all that stuff, but she herself has said, even through all of her experiences with Peggy, that she's not a hundred percent sure. She doesn't want to like claim that, that she thinks Peggy is, whatever's attached to Peggy is demonic. She doesn't necessarily believe that, which um, I guess maybe it's just a dark spirit. I don't know. But she's like, she's like, I don't want to put that like it's demonic on it. So um, just wanted to mention that too. Okay. Um, And nobody exactly knew what they were in for, not even the employees of Derby Gold, who were supposed to start with a few, they like, were like, okay, we're going to start this event by doing little tiny paranormal things that you normally do when you go to the Derby Goal. Um, but to be honest, that was actually probably not the best idea for them to start with that. Okay. And that is where I'm going to leave you until part two. Part <laughs> When you said you finished the book, I was like, you're going to not finish and I'm yeah. going to be frustrated. <laughs> and now you have to wait until we record again. <laughs> So I free tomorrow. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, let me finish that book real quick. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I did read a little bit further, but I was like, that's a perfect place to end it because then it'll have you hanging on the edge of your seat. That is a good cliffhanger. Goodness <laughs> gracious, girl. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I love how I started listening to you, like, leaning back in my chair and all relaxed. And the music's <laughs> gone on. I think I'm, like, in the camera's face now. <laughs> what? <laughs> And then now you have to wait for, for part two. Sorry. Gosh, well, now I'm going to be bugging you to record again. I know. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be on top of it this time. I promise. And I'll try to pick something that's not as crazy and complex as. <laughs> yeah, you're. You went into La Llorona way more than I knew there was. Yeah. I guess. Like, I mean, I get it. It's like kind of the same, the same gist. But you mentioned a lot of things I didn't know about her too. So. Well, that's the thing. I kept stumbling across a lot of different varieties and stuff. And yeah. I was like, holy cow. Like, I yeah. think that's what I enjoy about this podcast is that I get to dive deeper into things that I've always wanted to know more about. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I keep finding different subjects where I'm like, oh, there's not going to be much information. And then like this case, I just was reading the book and I'm like all enthralled. I'm like, what's going to happen next? It's just so scary. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Again. Yes, thank you so much. Um, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are on Instagram as Desert Sirens Podcast, and we are on Facebook as Desert Sirens. Um, we have an email address, Desert Sirens Podcast at gmail.com. 
uh, feel free to check us out there. We usually include pictures so you can have more visual that goes along with each episode. Yes. And the email, you can reach out to us, share any stories you may have or topics you want us to cover. Yes, um, please do. If you have any constructive, kind criticism, we're welcome to it. But don't, <laughs> don't rip us apart, please. We're very delicate. Tall um, flowers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. Oh, and I wanted to say thank you again to Emily Bork. She's on social media as Made by Bork. Mm-hmm. She made our logo, which is gorgeous. Yes. Um, and thank you again to my grandfather, Pat Garcia, for making our intro and outro music. I still love it so much. I know I dance to it every time I'm editing. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 all right, guys, come back next week for part two of my story. And who knows what Janelle's going to cover? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't even know yet at this point. But she'll yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. All right, bye everybody. Bye guys.